Hello everyone and welcome to 828 with your host Sarah Jenga. So we are here with episode one. Firstly, thank you so much for tuning in and I'm so excited to be sharing new episodes with you in the coming days and weeks. Now, of course, as everyone knows, we're currently dealing with a worldwide pandemic by the name of COVID-19. And just to give you some perspective here in the UK, we have confirmed over 182,000 cases of virus and just over 28,000 people have unfortunately passed away as a result, which is really staggering. So just to say, first of all, we're praying for all of you during this difficult and uncertain time, as well as those on the front line working to care for those who have fallen ill. Um, So today's episode is actually going to focus on the experience of health and care workers on the front lines and to do this I have my good friend Muna who is a healthcare assistant based at London Hospital and is passionate about all things health and global health related and we're actually going to talk about what it's been like working on the front lines, dispel a few myths that's going around there and also reflect quite importantly on what the Christian response should be to this virus. So welcome Muna and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Hi. Hi, everyone. And also, thank you so much for like taking the time out. I know you've been working so hard, you know, in the hospitals, <laughs> trying to get this crisis solved for us. So, you know, yeah. thank you again to everyone, you know, including yourself who's working on the front lines. We really appreciate it. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's no right. problem. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So, firstly, a bit of a check-in. Um, how are you doing? And how's your family? How are they coping? Um, we're good. We're good. Um, everyone's still at home. Mm. Me and my mum, we're key workers, so we're still out on the front line. Yeah. But everyone's I- everyone's fine, like no illness, no nothing. Um, to be honest, my mum has been you know, like typical Nigerian mum, all these concoctions, <laughs> she's making us drink and oh, inhale. Yes. So the ginger turmeric, oh, yes. all of it, yep. We're mm-hmm. taking it on a daily and I don't know if it's helping or not, but yeah, like <laughs> we're all okay. Um spirits are good. But yeah, yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Yeah. Well, we're actually gonna get into that. We're gonna talk a little bit about, you know, how it's been like for frontline healthcare workers um at the moment. But you know, let's just delve right into it. What has the past month and a half been like, you know, working in the hospitals? Because obviously for us at home, you know, we're told to stay at home, we can't really move. But for you guys, you still have to go out to work. So what has that experience been like for you? And you know, how is it? Like how dire is it in the hospitals? Um, I think the only, I remember the first couple of first two weeks. I was like, "This is just mad. This is yeah." Nothing. That was literally the only phrase I kept like repeating because mm. it was it was literally like a one eighty. Everything flipped on its head. You know, wards were changed. Everyone's now wearing scrubs. Like everything is different now. Yeah. Um, and I think in the beginning, especially like you, the tension was was there. The anxiety was palpable. Like you could feel how nervous everybody was. Because it was just so new, like you know, in the beginning where you're just hearing these numbers, seven hundred people died, eight hundred, and then the numbers just were just so high. Mm. And we're just thinking, oh, okay, because a lot of us, myself included, in the beginning, were like, oh, it's just a flu, like it's nothing. Because we we've seen worse diseases, you know, COVID nineteen, SARS. Okay, it's fine, we'll be fine. Yeah. And then the numbers started coming out, and we're like, hold on, what's going on? Mm. And then, um, yeah, I just think it was like in the beginning, it was nerve-wracking like you could people coming in visibly emotional mm-hmm. um i remember the day that my ward was converted to a covid ward wow i was there like the sunday before they, they were doing it on a sunday converting that on a monday they came in like we all staff were coming in and we were like whoa like everything was completely different um 
they had like a palliative team come in and saying that you know we don't know what's going to happen right now but know that people will die and you know like it just it was it was nerve-wracking that's the only that was mad nerve-wracking anxiety inducing but I think now like I think because we've just gotten used to it it's Mm. it's still hard um for instance like like dealing with the death yes it's difficult yeah I mean we're gonna get into that uh, later on but I mean I can only imagine you know as an NHS worker you are trained to to treat certain things you're trained to do certain things so coming into work one day I can only imagine because I haven't been in that situation myself but coming into work one day and just seeing you know everything that you've trained for you know completely flip over because you don't even know how to address the situation must have been so nerve-wracking as you say for for the staff um Mm. and again kudos to you guys for being able to just respond so professionally and so quickly um Mm. to this crisis because you know it was unprecedented but you guys did such a good job in being able to to just you know turn it around so quickly um Mm. now i wanted to touch a little bit about you know in terms of the the response to it you know there were obviously reports in the past few weeks over concerns surrounding the the shortages of PPE in hospitals Mm. Um, and there were actually frontline staff coming you know to the news and saying uh, they've had to actually reuse single-use equipment because of the shortages so Mm. I just wanted to know from your experience you know how's that been like for you have you actually seen um, that actually happening where you've been working or has it been okay what's been happening over there um I think where I work is quite good, as in the ward I work on is quite mm. good. Um, like we we're stocked up. I I don't know. I think um our ward manager is pretty good at that. She really she fights for her staff. Good. Um, so you know we do have the the FFP three master for those are the master R for patients who are um they call them uh, I think it's called aerosol generating. I don't know what the name is, but they call it NIV. I don't know what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are for patients who like are visibly coughing and spluttering. Right. And you're able to wear that. And then um, you have your visor and your gowns and so on and so forth. Um, I won't lie. Some, when, when it comes to the gowns, I've definitely seen a shortage in the gowns. Right. And we do have to, sometimes we have to be, we don't reuse it. So that whole like reusing single PPE, we don't do that on our border. Um, but like for instance, the gowns can be in short supply. Right. So, but then you know we have to be like, okay, when are we using it? Who are we using it for? Who do we prioritize? Which staff is gonna use it more? Because obviously, certain staffs are delegated to certain parts of the ward. Mm. So there may be a patient who's perfectly fine and doesn't necessarily. You don't need to wear the gown. Um, you can wear an apron, wear your mask, wear your visor, and so on. Um, some people need it more than others. Yeah. Um. But I have heard, and I don't know specifically where in the hospital, if it's even in this hospital, but there have been stories where, the, you know, staff have said that they've had to use the surgical mask, like, you know, the ones, the blue one everyone wears on the street. Yeah. And Yeah, they've had to use that wow. for the entire shift, which is crazy. Like, I, I, we couldn't believe it when we heard it ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, excuse me, it depends on where it is you're working. For us, no, but I would be lying if I said that there isn't, a, like, not only a national shortage but a global shortage on, yeah. on PPE in like the distribution of PPE yeah um so that is the case at the minute and mm-hmm. I just think it's like we prioritize our hand washing like it's, even yes. if you're going in to give a 
stick to a nurse. You come out, you take, you, you know, de-gown and de-glove and wash your hands. And wash up, like we wash up to our arms now. We wow. don't just wash our, up to our wrists. Like we wash the whole arm. I've got eczema all over my skin now because the oh, soap no. is so hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like you just, I think it's just being understanding the situation and then taking precautions to yeah of course minimize spread and then don't touch your face and so on and so forth wow so yeah i mean you know talking about the global shortages obviously that is a reality you know there have been global shortages for you know personal protective wear but also for you know medical equipment that's needed to for example keep patients alive you know mm. manufacturers you know for example here in the UK and worldwide have been working you know around the clock to make sure that they are producing the ventilators or mm. any other equipment that's required for patients so mm. you know that that is true that is you know a global issue and Things are slowly getting better. Um, we're just going to hope that, yeah, we just hope that it just keeps getting better. Um, and again, kudos to you guys for being able to respond so quickly to the, the shortages. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, kind of the public sentiment around mm. this crisis, because I think at the beginning, people were, you know, obviously anxious, panicking because they didn't know what this what this thing was. We knew that, you know, allegedly it had re- originated from a town in, I think it was Wuhan in China. Um, oh. But that was pretty much all we knew. And obviously it was having a really bad effect on patients and people were dying. But that yeah. was pretty much all we knew. Um, right now, we're kind of more at the stage whereby we know a little bit more about the virus. We know what symptoms it can bring. We know who it's more likely to affect, possibly. Um, and we're having more testing, which is obviously mm. great. Um, but in the meantime, from the perspective of someone who's actually sent ill patients on a regular basis, would mm. you be able to please <laughs> talk about why the measures that are currently been taken, i.e. staying at home, if you, if you need, if you don't need to go out to work, uh, washing your hands, uh, you know, social distancing, um, etc., are so important, even now when, you know, we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, why now it's still important to, to follow those measures? Um, I think there are a number of factors, like, as to why they're implementing these um, measures. I think for the first thing that comes to mind is that uh, fair enough, like the ones in hospital are really, really sick, but a lot of people who have the virus are asymptomatic. Yes. They have nothing. They might feel a bit of a fatigue here and there, or, you know, they might get a little cough for like a few days, but then they're fine. But then the problem with that is when you come in close proximity or come in close contact with someone who's a bit more vulnerable, whose immune system isn't as strong or has underlying conditions and you cough and sneeze on them or Mm. you lick your hand for whatever reason and touch the pole on the bus and then they touch that same pole and then touch their nose then they end up in icu Mm -hmm. so that's the reason as to why they say like keep your distance because one i think i'm not sure about coughing but i know uh, is it coughing or sneezing but one of the two like when you the the air particles that come out are able to travel about two meters give Mm -hmm. or take so that is why they say maintain that distance and like by you gathering, you don't realize how how much you touch your face. They yes. always say like you don't realize it. You'll be at work and you itch your eye. You're like, oh my Literally. god! Literally, like, <laughs> or just rub it for no reason. Or rub it for no yes. reason, or just rub your nose. Yes, just, touch, just put your finger in your mouth for whatever reason. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> for whatever reason. So it's things like that. And I just think it's one of those ones like it's more protective as opposed to it's 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 a protective measure. You keep mm. your distance so that if you do, for whatever reason, sneeze, cough, 
you're able that virus is able to it doesn't it can't travel to the next person yes i think and also like if you don't need to go out please i keep saying this stay in your house yes honestly you should actually only be going out for exercising yes fair enough you can't really control when people are going to go out for their run or whatever or um and obviously if you need to go to the shops or need to go and get like certain essentials and medical equipment like medicine or whatever it may be get it and go home i always for me like whenever i need to go to the shops, i make a list mm-hmm. and i tend to go to shops that i know the layout of the shops that i can just be in and out because honestly it's, it doesn't take long for you to for you to get the virus yeah and i think because it's so new we just don't know how it how you will respond to it exactly there's some people that are asymptomatic there's some people that get really really sick mm-hmm. there's some people that die so yeah. it's like minimize your risk as much as you can just stay at home i keep just stay <laughs> in your house yeah. please i yeah. think when you've seen how bad it can be it's like you don't want this virus this virus is not the one to play with yeah no it's not um, it's, it's not. not the one to play with at all it's and not. I know I'm hearing about like herd immunity and you want to yes. get the majority of the population. Okay, fine. I understand that from a scientific scientific perspective. Mm. But just for the meantime, if you don't need to go out, then go out. I know it's hard. I know it's so difficult. I know you mm. want to congregate with your friends. I know the weather is beautiful, but honestly, it's temporary sacrifice. Like a long for long-term gain, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So um those are the main issues. I see. I don't know if I've really answered that question. About no, you it. have. No, you <laughs> okay, have. Cool. And thank you for sharing that because no. And the reason why I wanted to deliberately talk about this is because there's, as you know, a lot of people, you know, um, predominantly probably like young people or people who don't have underlying conditions that we're seeing oh. in, in some patients like diabetes, high blood pressure, oh. whatever it might oh. be, who quite frankly are becoming brave and are saying because we're not elderly or because we don't have an underlying condition we are somewhat immune from this virus so we can go outside you know we can mingle socialize Mm. um and we're probably not going to get the virus now you know as you say just reiterating what you've just said follow the government guidelines you know stay at home unless you have to go outside because you you have to work or you're going for your you know your daily exercise or going to the shops or whatever you need to do that's essential stay mm-hmm. at home and save lives because you might not be affected by it but your presence you know being somewhere might cause somebody else to be affected adversely oh. and you know we don't want to do that we want to protect all people we, we really need to work together to protect people um Honestly. so yeah thank you for sharing that but um so I wanted to touch a little bit more about this because I have some other statistics and these statistics are quite interesting because it touches into the demographics of the population. Mm. So for those of you who don't know, um, the UK population um, is about 3.5% um, or about 3% of the population in the UK um, has, is, is, is of Black, African or Caribbean, Caribbeans, mm-hmm. right? So for every 100 people in this country, around three of them are, have some sort of black heritage, right? Mm-hmm. Now, statistics from the Institute of Fiscal Studies uh, released this week actually um, released some stark revelations about who this virus is affecting the most. So for example, the report found that um, a high proportion of people from ethnic minority backgrounds live in areas that are hit harder by COVID-19. Mm. Found that 
um, black, Asian and minority ethnic groups were experiencing higher per capita deaths than their white counterparts. Mm-hmm. And actually, actually, after accounting for differences in age, sex and geography, the study estimates that the death rate for people of black African heritage was 3.5 times higher than mm. white Britons. Um, yeah. For black Caribbeans, it's, it's 1.7 times higher. And then it's rising high to 2.7 times higher for those who have Pakistani heritage. Um, now, that's all to say, you know, a government review is going into this. Um, so the government is taking um, measures to kind of review why this is the case. Mm-hmm. However, I just wanted to know from your experience and what you've seen, you know, why, why is this the case? Like, why is this happening? Because I find this quite stark. I find this quite problematic. And of course, mm-hmm. this virus is affecting everybody. So we don't want to exclude. But why is this having a disproportionate effect on a certain group of people? Um. That's a really good question. And I think it's still one that is being unraveled. Like the answer to that is being unraveled. Yeah. Um, but I was having this conversation a lot. I've had it with my colleagues, family members, friends. And I think there are a number of issues that are actually that actually pertain to, you know, black and ethnic minorities being disproportionately affected by this. Mm-hmm. Um you know that like, I'm not too sure about the physiology of it. I'm not hundred percent, but I do if I'm not mistaken, if my science serves me right, um, I think those of a black African Caribbean background are more likely to have type two diabetes or, yeah. or diabetes in general yeah, and hypertension due to um, diet, lifestyle, stress. I, 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 I always include stress in that. Um, so that can put us at a disadvantage as well. I think also that you know they I'm hearing I'm hearing all these reports oh vitamin D and the lack of vitamin D could be a reason but I think physio- physiologically so like what's happening within our bodies and our genetic makeup that is something that will be unraveled in times to come and that's not something we can actually put you know a basis on at the moment mm. but um I remember I was speaking I was definitely saying that there is unfortunately there is a racial bias towards black and ethnic minority patients Mm. members of staff um and i'll be lying and doing myself a disservice to say that there isn't mm. um for instance um, and is this is this all, sorry just to clarify is this anecdotal or is this based on, on what you've read in terms of evidence uh, this is based on my own experiences based okay. on evidence it's based on like the statistics for instance like when it comes to childbirth like black women are five times more likely to die in childbirth and mm. and then their white counterparts and that is due to, you know, unfortunately, that is due to sometimes to negligence and, you know, this thing that black people don't experience pain. I, I don't necessarily know from an Asian perspective, but I know from a black perspective, there is this thing where black women or black men don't experience pain as much um, as their white counterparts. So there is a tendency for healthcare professionals, unfortunately, to be biased towards that. So if they do say, oh, I can't do this, I can't do this, I feel like this you might not necessarily take it on board as much because you're thinking, oh, they're strong. They'll be able to deal with it, mm. which is not fair um, and shouldn't be the case. But unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Um, but also, I was I was really thinking about this, and this might even sound a bit controversial. If it is, don't come for me in the comments. Don't DM, <laughs> don't DM me. Don't do any of that. It's just an opinion. Mm. Um, but I was saying that, especially for the Black culture, African more specifically, maybe Caribbean as well. Mm-hmm. But there is this tendency, I think even some parts of Asia as well, there is um and other anyway, 
um, there is this tendency for us to firm the suffering. Right. Right? Right. To firm the pain because we're going to get better. Yeah. Because we have that faith in us. Okay, we're going to be sure we're strong and we're going to get better. But also there is a distrust for this healthcare, for the healthcare system. We don't think that, okay, if you go into hospital, we're going to be okay. We don't necessarily feel safe in that. Mm. For instance, there was a patient that came in who was in the, who was in A&E. And his wife, literally, this is a black couple. His wife literally had to drag him to hospital because this wow. man was, was dying. Um, and when they, you know, you come in, you do observations and like you measure your oxygen saturation. Now, normally your oxygen saturation should be between 96 and 50, 96 and 100%. Right. That means you're good. This man was saturating at 50%. Wow. Oxygen. So he was he was on his way out. He was curtains with the curtains were really drawing on him. Wow. So just to is, clarify, when you mean um, oxygen saturation, you're talking about how, how at what capacity the lungs are working? Is that what you mean? So it's more a case of how much oxygen your body is carrying. Right, okay. Yeah. So your you have these your blood is made up of you know, these things called red blood cells. Mm. And they basically pick up oxygen from your lungs, trying and you know, circulates around the body and deposits it at various sites, your cells takes away all the carbon dioxide and you breathe it out type of right okay. so it's almost like it's an exchange system now that mm. should be at 100 percent. so that means 100 percent. yep 96 to 100 your maximum capacity you're doing well your blood is fully um, saturated you're fine when you start dipping to like 95 you're a bit, everyone's a bit like ooh, mm. 19 mm. if you're at 50 percent and you're still alive something is there is a, a force that is holding you wow because you shouldn't be alive Wow. At 50%. Honestly, you are on your way out. And um, he was, they gave him 15 liters of oxygen, which is the maximum amount of oxygen that you can give. It's high float, it's very uncomfortable, very drying. Mm. And it's, it's, it's not nice. It's not a nice feeling for anyone. Um, and even then, he was able to saturate like around 70%, even with all the oxygen they could give him. He was only coming up to 70%, meaning that there was a lot of damage done to his lungs. Uh, I don't know what came about it because you know in the emergency department he probably he's probably in IC he probably in ICU which is intensive care unit mm. um, by now at the time so yeah, I don't know what happened to him wow. but it just goes to show like he was at home and his wife was saying he just he just didn't want to come in because he was like I'm fine I'm fine I'll be fine his man is he's, he's he's going but he's saying he's fine so I'm just thinking is it that we have this thing in us that no we're strong I'll be all right I'll be all right is 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 that a reason? Mm. Um, that's interesting you say that actually because I think so I've heard a lot about how men in particular might have this aversion to going to the hospitals particularly for certain procedures because it's maybe a little bit too intimate or evasive and Mm -hmm. they just don't they don't want to deal with that right Mm -hmm. Um, whereas I think women because of obviously like women's health uh, we're more probably um aware or less anxious about Mm. you know going to the doctors because it's something especially when you become a mom um Mm. or are pregnant you you have to do it you have to go to the hospital you have to go see Mm. your your doctor um Mm. so we're probably less uncomfortable about it but Mm. i think there is something as you said um to do with our culture being like um and it's not a bad thing because we it's it's about having faith and being um you know being positive and that's not a bad thing at all per se mm. but it, it it can be it it can become this extreme whereby it's like I am so okay that I don't need medical treatment 
and, and you're really going out the door. And, yeah, and you're <laughs> yeah. literally waving at heaven's gate at this literally. point. Literally, yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I agree. I think there's something to be said about that. Um, your point about the um kind of the fear or maybe the anxiety about going to um the hospitals because of fear of how you'll be treated as a result of how you look like mm. um is something that obviously as a health because I don't necessarily work within the hospital I, I work in the health sector but I don't work in hospitals or healthcare settings mm. particularly so mm. I haven't seen that um but if that is the case and from what you've seen anecdotally that is the case mm. um what would you say needs to happen to be able to help solve that issue because that's that's a problem like if people are afraid or anxious to go because they're afraid of how they're going to be treated like how can we mm. help solve that oh it's gonna it's gonna take a lot it's gonna mm. take a lot of hands a lot of people to to do that i think first of all it's creating an awareness that there is this problem yeah there is this issue and and not yeah. not sugarcoating it Mm. Not saying, oh, you know, this. No, this is this is the statistics. This is the fact. Because what you know, what you're saying about the men, like the, it's more men in hospital anyway. Yeah, that's the even you know working. I've seen more men than I've seen women, um. But that's another conversation. Mm. I think it's 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 raising the awareness and showing people that look, this is this is it. This is the fact. But I think also, um, it's it's unlearning and reteaching. We teaching or oh, unlearning and teaching. So unlearning, like understanding your bias and mm. unlearning that. Obviously, like that's in an ideal world, everybody will be able to unlearn their own biases. But unlearning that, you know, if a black patient says she's in pain and a white person says she's in white patient, so they, they says that they're in pain. Understand that they're both in pain. They both need pain relief. You don't mm. delay it because because you think I oh, should be alright because you know you don't delay giving the necessary treatment. Not that they don't give the necessary treatment before anyone comes to me, but it's just an attitude to, to, to towards patients. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, it's unlearning that, but also understanding different cultures. Yes. Understanding um, how scientifically, medically, how patients present. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are certain differences in how um, a patient, like a black patient will present, let's say... Um, uh, what's the word called? Is it sinuses? I'm not sure. Um, ooh, my medic friends will kill me. But like, if your <laughs> if your if your oxygen is low, there's a like as a black person, you look a bit grey. Mm. As a white person, you look a bit you look pale, a bit blue. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people I've heard paramedics say, "Oh, you know, if she turns blue, let us know. This person is black. She will never turn blue." Yeah. So it's being able to actually teach that to our healthcare professionals and wow. teach that to teach like the differences. For instance, eczema on a black person doesn't look the same way as eczema on a white person. They look yeah. very, very different. Mm. Very different. But being able to know that. Because a lot of the time, is, not only is it by it's ignorance, a lot of people just don't know. Mm. So they don't know how to, how to react in certain situations. Of course, um, yeah. And I think it's honestly, I think honestly, just having like a really honest conversation of what's going on mm. and learning your biases yes. and teaching. And also, we have to either mend or rebuild trust between mm. the community and our healthcare service that's deep um, yeah that's deep and that, that will take a lot before that happens it mm. will take a lot of destruct destructuring rebuilding all of that all of those key words and so on 
whether that will happen, I don't know. I'm hopeful. Yeah. I have to. Rem- I have to have a level of optimism. And um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation about that's you know, a, ooh, that's a, that's you a, know that's the politicization of healthcare in this country and like how it we talk about crazy. the NHS and how we talk it's about health crazy. services and yeah. you know how we fund it and community ooh. services and that's a whole <laughs> other yeah. conversation. So you know, I'm right with you there, and I I completely um, agree that we we together because you know we don't want to generalize this is not something that everybody no. in the nhs no, no, no. is doing it's not everyone um, it's, not everyone. it's there but it's not everyone yeah exactly and you yeah. know i want to believe that you know majority of the people who work for the nhs are have a level of awareness that enables them to be sensitive to things like this but mm. obviously there's going to be some people who aren't and so yeah. for those who aren't we need to have you know an honest um conversation a dialogue with them you know whether it takes retraining i don't know what it is but just so that people are aware of what the biases are um mm. and learn how to treat every single patient regardless of where they're from or mm. how they look like equally um yeah. so yeah i think that is important um yeah. so okay let's talk about faith because this is something that obviously has hit um all communities but i think it's it's hit um people of faith in a way that's been quite deep because it's especially for 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 um maybe those in the front line who see it day to day because mm. you know that you're seeing suffering on a daily basis essentially so mm. from from your experience like how has your your faith encouraged you or helped keep you encouraged during this uncertain time um and what would you say to those who are you know suffering right now and i'm just wondering you know where is god in this situation mm. because mm-hmm. you know it, it can be hard to to feel his presence in in such a dire time yeah um my faith i've been praying a lot more yeah <laughs> um i've been a lot more honest i think i've been a lot more honest with god in the sense that i'm scared i tell god i'm like you're god i'm not gonna lie like, i'm shook yeah <laughs> like yeah. i'm scared like That's this real. is scary Mm. I'm, you know, and you know, I think we'll, you know, one thing you owe God is sincerity and honesty. Yeah, like He knows that this is going to be scary. He knows mm-hmm. He's not expecting you to be like, oh no, it's nothing. Let's go and save the world because God is good. He's good. Yes. but know that He He knows that you're human and you will have some level level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, how has my faith helped me? Um, I think. Hmm, how I think in my personally for me i've just been a lot more grateful to god for my life wow mm. a lot more like i wake up and i'm like wow yes i am alive and healthy yes amen. i see my parents every day mm-hmm. <gasps> amen I have, everything is here like, all i need to i wake up i'm like oh my god it's 5 30 in the morning i say sis you woke up <laughs> god woke you up this morning yes You're grateful and i think i just think it's one of those ones like for me i'm just thinking wow god has kept me every single day on the on the on the opposite side it's like okay god is is people are dying as well mm-hmm. so as you say like how do you console someone who's lost their dad or yeah. who's lost their mom or their grandparent and i would be lying if i said i need an answer however <laughs> um i honestly feel like god doesn't do, he's not a god of coincidence mm. he's not a god though oh, i'm just gonna take him now come come to me yeah, I think there are certain situations that will happen in our life that will just never make sense mm. ever. And um, even personally, before Corona, there's certain certain people that have passed away in my life, and till this day, I'm like, 
God, why did you why did you take that? But it's one of those ones that in that moment it's like it's almost like he takes yes. for you to come closer to him. Mm. Which it sounds a bit crazy because in that moment where you're like, God, why did you, why did you, why did you? You're still communicating with him. And you, you like it's almost like the only thing you can do is seek him. You the only thing you can do is pray and be like, God, I'm hurting. Mm. Comfort me. You talk, but you know, you know, the typical when you lose someone, typically you tend to try and point blame at someone, whether it's yourself, whether it's an external, whoever it is, you try and point point the finger. Unfortunately, sometimes God gets the blame, but it's just like you have to understand how merciful He is, how loving mm-hmm. He is. But He will never do anything. I always tell my mom, like, whenever certain someone will go through a situation, I'm like, God gives His hardest battles to the strongest soldiers, mm-hmm. and know that there is a strength within you that will help you go through this this moment amen it is painful yeah i'm telling you like the amount of times like even staff have cried over wow. patients that passed away mm-hmm. like there was re- recently um there was a lady that came in but she came in very poorly anyway and she passed away and were, one of the healthcare sisters i was looking after was like oh this one was so lovely and i think obviously it's difficult because you're not allowed to be near family so they were mm-hmm. faced she was able to help her with the facetime and then, you know, he come back. she came back. I don't know if it was the next day or during that shift, she heard that she passed away. Wow. Like, she had to leave the ward and she just went on a bench and was weeping. Like, she was crying so much. And, like, a stranger had to come up to her and picked all the flowers, like, near the car park. There's, a like, a bush and picked all the flowers and gave it to her. I said, well, I know it's really hard. Like, we'll get through this. Mm. So just how, just how, can, how, how, you can only imagine how, how a family member will feel. And obviously, like, because you're not allowed to see them yeah to the funeral you only allow 10 people in it it's just not gosh that must be so hard it's so hard sarah it is so so hard like Mm. we i think i'm not sure if we're allowed this but um if a patient does pass we do allow family members to come but it's very one very limited yeah and you're only allowed to go in there one at a time you can't all go in there at the same time you still have to wear the full you have to wear full i call it regalia you gotta wear it all before going in there and then you just keep the amount of sorry. I'm with, the amount of I'm so sorry for your loss that we've had to say mm. is too much. I I can't deal with it. And I think that was one of the issues that I had. But pulling it back to to faith, um, it's it's just one of those ones where for someone that's lost someone. First of all, if you are listening to this, I'm really really sorry for your loss. I know it's, it's really repetitive, but honestly, yeah. I know I I I empathize with how you with how you feel. And I really pray that, that God actually comforts you in this time because I know how difficult it will be. Like, this is this is not the way you want it. No, it's, it's not. It's, it's hard. It's not nice. And, um, I, you know, on that point, as you were talking, I was just thinking about, you know, the Bible verse, you know, Matthew chapter five, verses four, where he says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Yeah. And, you know, it's such a, a bitter pill to swallow sometimes Very because mm. we you know, when you're mourning, you, you know, you go through these different stages and you're angry and you're upset and you're, you're in denial. denial. Yeah, yeah. All of that. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. you know, of course, like in, in some instances you might even be, if you are a believer, you know, you, you might even be angry at God and you're wondering why, why now? Like, why, why did you why do not? this? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, and of course, like when you say certain Bible verses to them, um, sometimes that's probably the last thing people want to hear because they are like okay well you know 
is this is this comforting really to lose somebody like so many so many people might be thinking that but I think the thing that has um has helped me encourage people around me who have been affected by this is knowing that um God is all-knowing and he's Mm -hmm. all-powerful. He is not a God of mistakes or coincidences. Mm -hmm. He is a God who is sovereign over all things, even over this issue Mm -hmm. right now, which we as Mm -hmm. humans are finding so substantial and um, sometimes overwhelming. He Mm -hmm. knows that this was going to happen. And part of it comes uh, for us to have faith and trust Mm -hmm. that God knows what he's doing despite the hurt it's causing. But Mm -hmm. I think there's also um, another aspect of it, which is I truly believe that if we as as people of of faith, but even around the world, just work together to help each other out Mm -hmm. and use this opportunity as a teaching lesson to be kinder and more Mm -hmm. loving Mm -hmm. and, you know, more sensitive, sensitive, Mm -hmm. um, you know, mourn with those who are mourning rejoice with those who are rejoicing those who don't you know when jesus talks about you know the the parable of the samaritan how when you know if someone's hurt they are your neighbor like it doesn't matter how they look like or where they're from you know Mm. if someone is your you know your physical next door neighbor or someone who you know is you know out of food or you know is not feeling well needs a bit of help like what can you do to help them Mm. um i think that is also in in a way an encouragement to me to actively pursue ways of 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 being of help in this Mm. crisis um Mm. so you know to those who have lost loved ones you know just um reiterating what Muna just said you know we are so sorry for your loss and of course we're praying for you all um who have been affected by this but I I also pray that you are encouraged by the fact that you know the word does say that God is is all powerful and he is in control of all situations including this one um, mm. and we're just praying that it's a teachable moment for the church for all of us to be able to be just kinder um, mm-hmm. and more loving and, and showing more of that Christian love that 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 God really tells us about in his word um, mm. so I want to talk a little bit about um, a particular story that you told me which was quite powerful um, mm. and this is a story about um, if you're willing to share a patient um, who actually asked to pray with you when she was in yeah. hospital that really touched me. I wonder if you'd be willing to just share a little bit about that and how that touched you. Um, so she was, I think she was the first patient. Yeah, she was the first patient that came into the ward. Mm. And she had just been extubated. So like that's when they take out the, um, she was in ICU, so she was on a breathing machine. Wow. On the ventilator. So that's when she was able to take out the tube, take get off the ventilator and breathe by herself. She was able to stabilize and come into the woods so like recuperate type of thing to see how she was gonna do. Um I, I won't lie, she was bad. She was in a really bad state and she was young. She was in her thirties and I was wow. like, Whoa, like what's going on here? Um and looking at her, you could tell like she's she's been I don't know, who she'd been through war on that ward in the sense mm. that her body was wrecked and was like you could see that her body was fighting. Um, and obviously that was the, the you know, the base now. So that was the bay that I was allocated to. Obviously it filled up July, you know, that day, like the second day it was full. Um, and I remember coming in and I was just like, you know, you asked like, how are you feeling? And she's like, I feel rough. I was like, okay, cool. And then she was just like, oh. and the way she was, she was panting, she was like, God, just give me a second chance. God, give me a second chance. If you give me a second chance, I'll praise you forever. Give me a second chance. Give me a second chance. But you know, like in that moment, you don't say anything, you don't intervene. Yeah. And then she was saying, oh, sister, pray with me, pray with me. 
and I was like, I was, I was, I was literally about to come out. I said, I'm coming, I'm coming. So I went out and carried on what I was, what I was doing. Um, and then I came back in and um, there's this thing called a blood sugar. We call it BM. I don't know, I don't know what BM stands for. So, anyway, so you measure someone's blood sugar because she was on a, they call it a sliding scale. So every hour you measure the blood sugar to know how much, to know how they're doing essentially. To know whether they need to insulin or top it up or bring it down or something. So um, I was there and then she said, sister, please pray with me. And I think for me in that moment, I was like, I, I panicked. I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know how to pray. Like, me, I don't yeah. know. What's this? I, I, me, like, <laughs> I can't pray for anyone. Like, what do I know? Oh. Like, I'm just about praying this morning type of thing. And I was panicking. And then in my head, the minute it was just like, God forbid this woman passes and you didn't pray for her. Mm-hmm. God forbid on judgment day, Peter opens this day and says, on this day at this hour, this woman said pray with her. You didn't pray with her. God mm. forbid. So I was like, you know what? Forget it. Drew the curtains. And I knew, I knew I was breaking the, the rules because I know like, you know, when it comes to faith and uh, working hospital is a bit, it's a bit of murky waters. You can't, it's, yeah. you, you tread really lightly with it. So I was again full. I was like, this one was spluttering, coughing. I said, forget it. Held her hand and I prayed with her and I prayed over her body. I said, God, like heal her, forgive her. You know, you said night in one that you, you know, what's the, what's it that even though, what's the saying? Let me get my Bible. Give me a second. <laughs> Please do. We, we need the story because this, I have to say this, this story, this testimony, it's not even a story. It's a testimony <laughs> for me was, I, I actually cried afterwards because. Really? Yeah, because I was, I was just overwhelmed at just the power of god in that moment um and just knowing that he had called um that he had called you like the holy spirit had ushered you to pray for this little person like me you know listen i mean let's no let's not downplay you because you know you were doing some amazing things and we'll get to that in another episode about what you're planning to do with your future praise god but amen you know (laughs) we you know, the fact that he had just ministered to you in that moment, the Holy Spirit to be like, please pray for my child mm. is just so powerful and yeah, crazy. But have you yeah. found the Bible? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think it was, um, I was like, oh God, I said, I said, even though it, it says a thousand may fall dead beside you, 10,000 all around you, but you will not be harmed. Mm. And I was like, God, you cannot harm your child now, type of thing. And um, I just really went in there. And do you know what's crazy? It's like, if you call for the Holy Spirit to help you, he'll help you, you know? Amen. Like, like levels, like I said, Holy Spirit, I don't know how to pray, just, just touch my mouth and let me pray. And I was bring out all these Bible verses and I'm, even me, I was shocked myself. I said, oh, because I have this thing, like if I'm praying and you know, like when you're really in the spirit, it's like, there's another side to me that's just like, oh, go on, sis, is that you? Yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's like, you praying, okay, go on. Um, and it was crazy because she was even struggling to say amen. Wow. And I was just like, oh, God, this woman, she's really, really bad. So it wasn't long. I held her hand. I held it tight. I prayed mm. over this woman's body. I said, God, heal her lungs. Heal her, you know, whatever it is that was, I can't remember specifically, but yeah. And then, um, and I remember I said, amen. I said, sister, you are well. And I'll see you. Because I think the shift was finishing. I'll see, you, I'll see you tomorrow. And then the next day, um, she was sitting up at bed. Wow. I was just like, I looked at, like I was free. I, I don't think I was working with her that day, but she was sitting up, and I was just. I looked at her. She looked at me. She put her thumb, her thumb up. I said, "Oh my God!" I said, "God, thank you, thank you, thank you." Thank you. Oh um, wow! And then you know she started to get better, and then she started to walk again, 
and I just was look. I, I was I was watching this woman. I was like, I'm not gonna lie. I thought you were going. Mm. Honestly, that's how bad she was. I thought she was going because she was in ICU. Yeah, so she was really bad. Wow, she was really really bad. And then yeah, and I was just like, I said, Nuno, what if you didn't pray for her in that moment? And I just had to thank God. I said, God, thank you for allowing me to pray for her. Like, mm-hmm. even if it was nothing. And I remember even the nurse I was working with, she was oh, why were you in there? I was like, oh, I was just having a conversation because it's not your business. <laughs> oh, sorry, it's not your business. Yes. <laughs> I was just having a conversation with her. She said, okay, fine. Because I don't want it to say like, oh, I did this and then, you know, end up getting in trouble. Like, yeah. It's, it's no need because it's not between, it's not for the nurse, it's for the patient. It's yeah. the patient and God, that it's nothing. Um, and then, yeah, like, you know, when she got better, she went home. And then she said, oh, my gosh, thank you so much for your prayers. Like, I thank that. Thank you. And then I just think in that moment, I said, okay, I, I, I understand this power now that they mm. talk about. Um, but yeah, and I just think in that it, it was, it was crazy because I was like, I was almost putting my job at risk. Yeah. But I didn't, I didn't care at the same yeah. time. That's it crazy. Was, That's boldness yeah, right there for yeah, Christ. Yeah, yeah. Fam, the way I drew the curtain, like I was like in Mission Impossible, drew it, drew it, closed and I don't know how loud that was. I don't know how quiet I was. I don't know. I just I was just there. Um, but yeah, that was definitely the Holy Spirit because I wouldn't have done that on another day. That and can I just say, like, first of all, this is a teachable moment for all of us who, you know, are believers and, you know, are are working in this in this world, you know, where we're in the world but not of it, but we're working in this world whereby, you know, increasingly so it's becoming harder to express your faith um mm. or talk about your faith in certain spaces and mm. you know it, it requires a level of I guess boldness and confidence to be able to do what you did but also mm. um a level of boldness that is is just given to you by the Holy Spirit in that um, moment, in that moment. yeah like yeah. literally not even thinking about you know what the consequences might have been um what other people would have said you were firmly focused on what god had intended for that moment to be and the Mm. fact that you had heard god's call answered god's call and had been part of that process of of helping heal that woman is just Mm. so powerful and you know again and again in the bible we hear of you know prophets and and people in the bible who may or may have not may have not listened to what god had told them to do and we mm. see the consequences of what happens when you listen to God and when you don't. Mm. And, you know, it's powerful. So the fact that you, you just listened to his call was just amazing and just an encouragement to all of us who are, you know, not just for this crisis alone, but in any situation where they're feeling tempted to, to be pressured into choosing anything other but God, mm. please keep choosing God because he will mm-hmm. never forsake you. Um, Absolutely. so yeah that's that's I me mean, I still get chills when you because obviously this isn't the first time you told me the story but just you yeah, saying yeah, yeah. it again has given me chills and I'm so yeah. glad that you allowed God to use you in that moment and praise yeah. God that woman is healed thank God for, for her ah, oh. and she was on the phone I said you got mouth now in it like oh. the week after she was talking she said she was calling all her friends said, thank you for your prayers thank you, thank oh. you. Yeah, but it was it was I'm okay it was so nice to see and I think it's moments like that that kind of make you that give you hope that yes. you know this situation will pass because you know like there are some days you just you just come back like is it Thursday last mm. week I came back I was defeated I won't lie I was defeated wow it was it was just a very long day um 
it was just a hard it was a hard day in terms of physical like labor because as a healthcare system you do all the stuff that nobody else wants to do yeah you do the pushing the pulling the wiping the cleaning you do do it all um and i just think again like there was a patient who dipped he just just got sick like really sick all of a sudden and i was like this is someone that was talking earlier he's fine he came back but it was just in that moment i was just like is he going mm. and i think you know your adrenaline is going at that at that time um i think like the few days before like we had to you know like when a patient passes you know you have to after you've certified the death you have to wash the patient and get the patient ready to be taken away and just in that moment you just felt like there's there's this pain that you feel you know it's just your compassion it's empathy but it's so painful you're just like wow i know that this person was someone's loved one yes and because of a virus a virus Mm -hmm. took them out oh my gosh and i just think and like even though there were three of us there but you can just you felt i remember i kept praying mm-hmm. i always pray for my patients I, even if i don't say it out loud i'm always praying in my head heart whatever you call it. Mm. I'm, I'm like god just you know may, may forgive him of his sins and may he return back to you and you know may you embrace him in your arms and type Amen. of thing and, mm-hmm. and then like you know like it's almost like it's it's not it's not protocol but I've seen a lot of people do this. Like when you zip the bag, you say rest in peace and you call the person's name mm-hmm. and then you carry on. Um, but yeah, like that. And then I think that day we also had like a drop-in session. So they had like almost like a counseling session, but for all the, the staff members and we were talking about like how we're feeling and so on. And you just feel like everybody, even though everyone's going about, you know, doing their thing, but you can still, you still know that everybody's feeling it. Everyone's yeah. emotions are being pushed and pulled and tugged. Of and, course, mm. yeah. So that day was hard, but then it's just wow. again like the Friday. There's a there was a couple that was in another bay, and they've been arguing for the last week. We were like, okay, they're better now. They're good, and they oh. went home. We're like, yes, congratulations, <laughs> don't come back. Amazing. Um, so yeah, I just think it's it's those moments that give you hope and that give you strength in those, yeah. in those sad times. Such oh, a roller coaster yeah. of emotions. Girl. Pray, praise God for it all. I mean, <laughs> yeah, praise God for it all. Okay, last question. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about purpose. Um, okay. I feel like from the conversations we've had around what you've witnessed, not only um, during this crisis, but generally uh, throughout your life, I do believe that your ministry and your purpose lies in health um mm. and you have a very strong passion about healthcare. Mm. I just wanted to know and I'm sure the audience would want to know given you know the the insights you've given us today how did you how did you reach this point like how did you get to the stage where you were like you know healthcare is where I want to be in life? Um, I think there was I think it's more a com- it was a combination of things. Mm. I think from young I've always had I've always cared about people yeah to the point you know even to the point to my detriment I would be very very caring and that was something that my parents even though it's from like I would always look after other people mm-hmm. I don't know if it was internal or not and I don't know what it was but it was always something that I wanted to do and I always I me personally I hate to, the sight of suffering mm-hmm. I, I just I can't I can't stand it like even if a baby's crying I'm not gonna lie, it touches my heart. Like for what even if the baby did something naughty or the <laughs> child, you know, was didn't get what they wanted, just to see a baby cry, I'm like, ooh, it tugs it. So I've always been like, okay, like, you know, you get to a stage in life where you say, Oh, what do you wanna be? And I'm like, I'm not too sure, but I know I wanna be 
someone that looks after people mm. um you know to help those who are less fortunate than i am um and i think it was also taking trips back home as well yeah. whereby i saw suffering i saw poverty like not just poverty we have here but re- like poverty yes as in like you, extreme you, poverty extreme poverty yeah. you're like whoa mm-hmm. and i remember there was a girl that we we that was like in like living with us many years ago and i was like my mom i said mommy i said give her all my clothes i don't need them oh. I got enough. i'll give her enough and my mom, my mom was like no her mommy is gonna give her something i was like no mommy she's not and then i was me won't go back and forth and i just think she was just looking at me like oh, this child um and then so okay that was also part of it and for me when it one of the things that i'm quite that comes in quite easy science Mm. I don't struggle that much with science. It's hard, don't get me wrong, but I don't struggle with it. Like, I struggled more with something like English. Really? Yeah, like English. Meanwhile, I was here reading Shakespeare and all them plays, but if someone Mm. told me about, I don't know, how does the heart work, I'd be like, hey. Listen, I'll (laughs) literally. This valve, the atrium, and it goes to this, and it's fine. Do you know, know, I I, I absolutely, I don't know what it was. As you say, like, I think it's probably like a natural thing, like what you're naturally good at, but science for me, whoo. Serious? Science, no. it was easy i didn't struggle with science i didn't struggle um do you know what's crazy i I say that i didn't like english not that i didn't like it but i kind of struggled with english but i like to write which makes no sense Mm. (laughs) i mean it's just like when it comes to punctuation i'm like okay does the comma go here or here like i'm that's till this day my brain is just it can't it doesn't i'm not gifted in that place Mm. um so i was like okay my science comes easy to me and i knew okay fine like I like it. But I enjoy, especially like biology. I really love biology. Oh, wow. That's my favorite subject. It's favorite. I would forget everything else. Biology and drama. Just give me those two, and I'll be big. Like, um, so then I was like, okay, you know, again, I was like, oh, why about combining the two? But I didn't know. I didn't think of medicine. Right. I didn't think of working in health. I didn't think of anything like that. I was just like, I don't know what it is, but I want to do. I want to combine biology and people. Mm. Um. And as time went on, time went on, you know, I started to draw more towards health because it was able to combine those two aspects. I was able to combine my science, but using it in a way that betters the, betters the lives of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're able to use your knowledge and, you know, the knowledge of someone else and you're able to come together and you're able to deal with the situation. So if it means giving a, a paracetamol or a vaccine or teaching them how to wash their hands to, you know, prevent the, the spread of a virus and you're able to teach them why you need to do that so I think it was it was a very gradual process I don't know if there was a specific point that you know I was like okay this is what I want to do um but I always knew it was going to be health related and yeah that just kind of went on and went and went I was like you know what yeah you know we're going into medicine and healthcare it's kind of lit so that's that's kind of where it ended up wow <laughs> yeah. wow that's powerful and I think you know, from what, what you've told me about your life journey, but also about just specifically this crisis has, I think, from what I've had, just revealed how you are just in the right place where God wants mm. you to be. The it fact that, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, some people call it a gut feeling. Some people call it a sign from the universe. I call it, you know, the Holy Spirit, God talking mm. to you. But, you know, there's this there's this thing that you know when you know that it's yeah. the right place for you to be or the yeah. right situation for you to be in. And I feel mm. like from what you told me, you are right exactly in the in the space and the place that you're oh, supposed to be in. So yeah. I I just, you know, want to encourage you 
you know with what you're doing you're doing amazing work right now let me Thank tell you me. guys this girl is smart okay <laughs> she has studied at like the top institutions in the world i'm just telling you that right now and she is on the trajectory to becoming you know a health you know practitioner extraordinaire physician all of that good mm. stuff um so i'm so excited at what god has in store for you and you know what contribution and blessings you're going to be giving to to people through him um so yeah thank you so much for sharing this with us this has been such an amazing episode thank you for opening your heart and your experiences to us it's been great um and also dispelling the myths that we've been hearing out there about coronavirus guys please stay at home i know you're fit it will catch your chest (laughs) stay at home you know the government is you know they know what they're talking about and um i just wanted to end with a with a bible verse because you know this crisis as we've said throughout this episode has been hard on so many people but this this verse in particular really sticks with me during hard times and i really wanted to recite it it's um romans 8 verses 37 to 38 mm-hmm. and it says in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons neither the present or the future nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord amen amen so please be encouraged it is a tough time we empathize with you we are praying with you we are mourning with you but please know that despite what's happening in this world whether it's good or bad that god is right there with us and nothing will separate us from the love and the providence that he has over our lives whether it's in this life or the next life in heaven with him so thank you guys for tuning in i look forward to another episode and thank you again Mina, for tuning in it's been great thank you for talking to us god bless no you no worries thank you and you too all right bye everyone bye bye